Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm really excited about this series that we're starting today. Uh, it's a series called Running with Giants. Running with, with Giants. And, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And, and I told you to turn to Esther. We'll get there in a second. But this is what Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with with perseverance, this race that's marked for us. So, like, we're surrounded by these incredible giants of faith that we read about in the Word of God. And the Bible says that these people are cheering us on as we run this race that God has set for us. And so, over the next several weeks, really a good portion of the summer, we're going to be in this series running with giants, and we're going to be taking like one giant at a time and learn from them and giving them an opportunity to speak into our lives. I, I read a, a great book a few years ago by my favorite author, Andy Andrews, called The Traveler's Gift. And, and The Traveler's Gift is about this, this main character. It's a fictitious deal, uh, but his name is David Ponder. And, and David Ponder kind of has this journey through time, and he gets to spend time with some of the most influential people uh, throughout history. So like Abraham Lincoln and Mother Teresa and even Jesus and some other biblical characters. And he has this conversation with them, and the reader is invited into these conversations where they learn some life lessons from these historical um, characters. This series is going to kind of fill a little bit like that because I want us to imagine what would it be like to sit down beside some of these giants of faith and give them an opportunity to speak into their, our lives and I think through the power of God's word through the revelation of his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit I believe that we can have that experience and, and so I, I believe as we go through this series there's two things that will happen number one we'll be super encouraged by the lessons we learn and then the second thing is this you're going to learn what your Bible says and some of you, you grew up like I did. You grew up in Sunday school, right? And you learned about all these incredible characters. Others of you that call North Park home, some of these are a little fuzzy to you. And you don't know all of these stories that we often talk about. So we're going to dive in together as we begin the summer. And, and we're going to learn about these giants of faith. And our first person that we're going to look at today is this incredible woman of God named Esther. And if Esther was here today, here's what I believe that she would say to us. I believe she would say, that when you are uncertain about your purpose, God has a place for you. Now, maybe you've struggled with this idea of purpose and you've struggled to know, like, where's my place? Like, I don't really know where my place is. I don't know where I fit in. I'm not really sure why I'm on this earth. We learn a lot from the story of Esther. And, and when you read the story of Esther, and it's only a, a few short books uh, in Esther, a few short chapters, rather, in the book of Esther. Um, so you could read it really quickly, and I encourage you to do that. But when you read it, if you're like me, it almost feels like a movie script. It feels like a movie that, 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 that's about to be, about to be directed, right, or, or shot. And, and, and here's what I find. There's drama. There's romance. There's power. There's intrigue. It's the stuff that great stories are made of, right? There's a dude that gets impaled on a pole. Like, it's a, it's a big deal, right? And this is the story of Esther. And it starts with this king by the name of Xerxes, rather, um, who reigned in over 127 provinces, stretching from India all the way to Ethiopia. 
and he was frustrated by his queen. Here's how it starts. He actually sends word for the queen to come into his presence. It was hey, actually it was against the law to come into the king's presence without being summoned. So he summons his wife. He summons the king, and here's what she did. She said, "Nope." I am not coming. She refused. And so he did what any reasonable husband would have done if he had called for his wife to come in the room and she refused. He had her banished forever and had her replaced as queen. Okay, pause. His home works very differently than my home does, okay? I, I, I can just imagine. Let me, let me set this picture for you. Imagine I'm sitting in my recliner, right? And I'm watching ESPN. I'm watching a ball game. And I get a little hungry. I can imagine what this would look like if I said, Hey, Marianne, how about you come in here and fix me a sandwich? Now, the clean version of what happens next... <laughs> would be, you can get up and fix your own sandwich, right? Uh, you don't want to know what the unclean version would sound like. Probably it would sound the exact same as if it were in your house. But, but a little different situation here. The queen refused, and this dude had her banished. And his advisors, um, who kind of needed to be replaced because they weren't the best advisors, in fact, they gave him horrible advice, encouraged him to have a really large beauty contest. Just have this big beauty contest, and the winner of the beauty contest gets to be the queen. It was like Bachelor season one, right? And that's where we pick it up in Esther chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. It says, there, Now there was a Jew who lived in the palace complex in Susa, and his name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, and the son of Shemel, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And his ancestors had been taken from Jerusalem with the exiles and carried off with King Jehoiachin of Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon into exile. And Mordecai had reared his cousin Hadessa, otherwise known as Esther. So this is where we see Esther. Since she had no father or mother. And the girl had a good figure, beautiful face. And after her parents died, Mordecai adopted her. So Esther's family was in exile. They were Jews and they had been captured. They were exiled. They were forced from their homes. And Esther had been adopted by Mordecai because her parents had died. Now, I can only imagine what a young girl who was going through all of that must have felt like. She must have been struggling to find her place and wondering if there was a purpose for her life. And all of us have moments in our lives where we feel overlooked and we feel passed over and we feel like we really, we really don't have a place. And, and, and for some of us, like we're going through some transitional moments in our life. That's been the crazy thing. Um, I've been some of your pastor for like, like 12, 13, almost 13 years. And I've watched you go through transition. We as a family have gone through transition. I, I, I started, when we started North Park Church, my, my daughter was like six. And, and, and my son was, was much younger, right? And so I've watched my kids grow up. Some of you have watched my kids grow right before your eyes. And now all of a sudden, I've got a daughter who's in college, and she's back home. I've watched many of you go through that transition. Your kids have gone off, and, and they've grown up, and some of them come back, and you're trying to get them to go away again. Like, there's all these different things that we go through in life, right? Is that not true? And so there may be even a season in your life where you know what your purpose is, and you know what your place is, but now all of a sudden, you find yourself in the next season of your life, and you're not really sure what your purpose is for this next season, and you're not sure where your place is in this next season. That's exactly where Esther was. So if you feel overlooked, God has a place for you. I want to help you find your place. 
Now Esther chapter 2 verse 17 says this. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. She won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now I want you to see how this story unfolds. Because God strategically places Esther exactly where she needs to be. Not just to be a queen, but to be used as a redeemer for her people. And here's a lesson I want you to get. Finding your place requires a few things. Finding your purpose in your place, first of all, requires great faith and trust. See, what you got to realize is Esther was a Jew. And she was adopted by her cousin, her adopted father, Mordecai. And he also was a Jew. But for some reason, they kept their nationality a secret to the king, or anybody else, for that matter, knew that they were Jews. And so Mordecai becomes this government official. And, and during his tenure, he actually discovers that there's an assassination plot to take out King Xerxes. And he, he brings that plot to light and actually saves the king's life. Not everybody was a fan of Mordecai. In fact, the king's most powerful official was this dude named Haman. And everybody would bow down in reverence and respect for Haman when he would walk in. And Haman liked that power. He liked that, that, that prestige. He liked when everybody else bowed down. But for some reason, Mordecai refused to bow down in his presence. Didn't go over so well with Haman. In fact, Esther chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he wasn't just upset, he was filled with rage. And he had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided that it wasn't enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all of the Jews throughout the entire empire. And so Haman goes straight to the king and he lets him know, hey, these Jews are causing all kinds of issues. And so he convinces the king that these Jews wouldn't follow the rules, they wouldn't obey the laws. And so to deal with that and to show them who's really boss and show them who's really in control and, and that you don't treat the king that way, here's what he convinced him to do to make an example of what happens when you don't follow the king's orders. Let's just kill all the Jews. And so the king signed off on the request, not realizing that his queen was in fact going to be on that kill order. Mordecai and, and, and Esther could have easily decided to, let's save ourselves. Let's just keep this fact that we're a Jew a secret. And yes, they may go out and try to kill everybody else, but why don't we just save ourselves? But here's what they saw. They saw that God placed them in a very specific place, in a very specific position for a very specific purpose. And so they stepped up. Esther 4, verses 13 through 14, Mordecai says, Don't think that just because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews are going to escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position. Here's this famous phrase. You might not even be a Bible person, but you've probably heard this phrase. It's a very popular phrase, very famous phrase that comes from the story of Esther. Perhaps God brought you to this place, what? For such a time as this. See, some of us, we don't understand why we're in the position that we're in. We don't understand why we're stuck in this job. 
We don't understand why we're kind of stuck in this place. We don't know why we're stuck in this season of our life. But here's what I want you to understand as you read this story. It's possible that you are here for such a time as this. Maybe there's something that God wants to do through your life and he's chosen you to accomplish his purpose and plan to do even the miraculous through your hands. See, finding your place not only requires great faith and trust, but it requires great courage. And is it possible that there is an assignment that you are owned from God and he's placed you on that athletic team, he's placed you in that classroom, he's placed you on this job, in this position, in this family, in this neighborhood, in this church for such a time as this. But here's what we do so often. We get so frustrated by the place because it's uncomfortable sometimes. We get, we get frustrated by the position because it's not really where we want to be in the first place. And so, so what we do is we begin to complain. We begin to get disgruntled. And we begin to push our way out of this place and look for an escape hatch. Because we don't like this place where we want to be is somewhere else. But we don't always recognize that we are here in this place for such a time as this. Let me tell you what it looks like in real life. When I came out of high school, I'm out of college, uh, my undergrad was um, elementary education. I know that may surprise you. I was an elementary school teacher for like five minutes. It didn't last very long, right, for the, for the sake of the children, right? But, um, but, I, but, I, but I was a teacher, and, and I loved it. I, I just had in my mind that I wanted to be in ministry. I, I wanted to be in full-time ministry. I didn't need to be stuck in this classroom. I needed to be in full-time ministry. I wish I could go back and punch that dude in the face because I was more in full-time ministry in that classroom, in that public public school than I've ever been since that time. And as I look back over that season that I even got to be a student teacher for Miss Rebecca Sargent, who's sitting right here in the room today. It's crazy. She's one of my students. That's crazy. I was like 12 when I was a teacher. And uh, we started early back in those days in that one schoolroom classroom, right? Uh, but but I, I look back over those days, and, and here I was. Um, I was the only male in the entire school other than the janitor. We're the only two. Um, teachers, staff members. Um, and in my class, the large majority of students that were in my class had no father figure in their life. And during the year that I was teaching school, there was a great flood, not the one from Noah, but the one in Lenore County. And um, over a third of my students were displaced, were displaced from their homes and ended up in FEMA trailers during that school year. Let's talk about what full-time ministry is. That was full-time ministry. I had an opportunity to pastor my city. I was put in that classroom to speak into the lives of those children for such a time as that. But instead of flourishing in that environment and really fulfilling my purpose in that moment in their lives, all I wanted to do was get out and go doing something else because that was uncomfortable and wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wish I could go back and punch that dude in the face, in the throat. I'm talking about like really punching because I missed this incredible opportunity to be a father figure to some people 
who desperately needed the love of Jesus in their life. And I look back and yeah, I did some things, but I wasted so much of that time. And I would just, I believe that if Esther could sit across from you and have a cup of coffee, I believe that she would look at you and she would say, don't despise this season of your life. I know it's uncomfortable, and I know it's not what you ultimately want to do, and I know you, it's, maybe it's not what you think your destiny is all about, but I honestly believe that you are where you are right now, strategically placed by God for such a time as this. So take advantage of every opportunity and every day to live out this purpose at least in this season of your life. And in Esther 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Gather all together the Jews who were in Susa, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night, and me and my maids, we're going to fast as you do. Here's what Esther was doing. She was, she was in this season of her life where she recognized that she was about to take a stand and do something that was going to require incredible faith and courage. And she also understood that finding your place requires incredible focus on the Lord. And so she began to pray, and she began to fast, but she began to, to, to invite other people on this journey with her, to pray with her and to fast with her. One of the biggest mysteries as a pastor, I just don't always get it. It's like when people are in the fight of their life or they're really struggling or they're really going through something. I don't know why, but so often the temptation is to withdraw and to pull away from the very people who can help and make this journey easier for you. I don't get it. But for some reason, when things get tough and when things get tense, instead of reaching out and asking people to join that journey with us, we often pull away in isolation because somehow we're convinced we got to figure this out on our own. But that's not what Esther did. She realized that what she was about to do was going to take some courage and it was going to take some faith and it was going to take some focus on the Lord, but it was also going to take some people getting around her to hold her arms up in prayer. And she wanted to know that there were some people praying with her and she wanted to know that there were some people that were fasting on this journey with her. And if you're struggling, reach out. If you, if you feel like you were in the fight of your life, don't buy into the lie that you've got to figure this out on your own and you've got to do this on your own. I encourage you to reach out to the people around you that love you and that care about you and want to walk this journey with you. It's why at the end of every service, without fail, we always say, you know what, you, there's a prayer team that's here. And they want to walk this journey with you and they want to invest in your life. They want to pray with you. They want to join with you and pray about anything that's going on in your life. Why do we do that? Because James chapter 5 verses 14 through 16 says, Are any of you sick? Call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's why we pray together. 
That's why we encourage you to join a life group so that you don't have to walk this journey in isolation. There are people in this church family who want to walk this journey with you. But you've got to let some walls fall. And you've got to reach out. You've got to let somebody know what you're facing. I tell my kids all the time, I can't fix it if I don't know what's a problem. I can't help you if I don't know that there's an issue. And when we continue to hide and isolate ourselves, we put ourselves in a position to really go through the attack of the enemy. And so if your family's hurting, if your marriage is struggling, if you're dealing with some stuff in your body, if you're dealing with some stuff in your mind and your heart, don't pull away and isolate yourself. But let's come together and let's figure it out and let's walk this journey together. That's what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. We say all the time, we want to connect with God, we want to connect with each other. As long as everything's going good and we're, we're happy and everything's right and everything's going well, but if things are going wrong, then I'm going to be out a little bit. I'm going, to, I'm going to have to try to figure this out. Maybe I'll come back when I get it together. That's dumb. It's completely opposite of what God's Word teaches us. You are not an island. And you do not have to figure this out on your own. And the reality is, many times, more times than not, we can't figure it out on our own. We need somebody to walk this journey with us. I can't tell you how many people, every Sunday morning when I step on the stage, I know are praying the fire down for my life and for this church family. I don't ever feel alone when I stand on the stage even though I stand here by myself every Sunday morning but I know that there are people who are praying for me and who are holding me up and that are praying for this church family and I recognize that I am not in isolation but I am surrounded by an incredible group of people who love me and are walking this journey with me you need that in your life and so just like Esther who said, hey, I want you to pray and I want you to fast with me. Why don't you reach out and let somebody know what you're really going through? And Esther said in verse 16 of chapter 4, she said, I'm going to the king. I've already told you it was against the law to go to the king unless he summons you. And so she's going to the king without a summons. She's going without an invitation. And this is what she said. I'm going even though it's against the law. And even if I perish, I'm just going to perish. Because I realize I am here for such a time as this. What she's teaching us is finding our place requires great initiative. And so she went to the king. She exposed Haman's plot. And instead of slaughtering the Jewish people, the king honored them. He honored them. And instead of slaughtering her and slaughtering Mordecai and the rest of the Jewish people, Haman actually ended impelled on a pole. See, the common attitude of our time is I got to look out for me. I got to look out for me. I got to look out for number one. Esther could have easily just looked out for herself and her people would have perished. But she made the decision, you know what? No matter what it costs me, no matter what I have to do, I'm going to do the right thing. And I believe if I'm going to do the right thing, I believe that, that God's will will be done in my life. I believe this is what she would teach us. When you realize God's purpose for your life, you feel empowered. This was a woman in a Jewish culture who in reality was expected to be quiet, to serve in the home, and stay on the fringe of religious and political life. 
But even though Esther was this Jewish woman who broke every cultural norm, she stepped out of her expected role and risked her life to help God's people. I I don't know if you noticed it, but I've been wearing this black band over the last several weeks. My family and I, we, we decided we're not always together and, and, and Blair's gone for school and all these things. So let's, let's have something that'll kind of like think about each other. And so, so we all decided to buy these little dumb little bracelets at a, at a store. I noticed that Mike is not wearing his right now. Um, but we decided we'd never take them off. Am I the only one wearing my bracelet? Look at me and Blair. Yeah. Um, it smells, y'all. I haven't even taken it off, man. It's in the dirt. I'm sweating in it. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it reminds me of my family, right? It reminds me to pray for my family that I am not alone. How bad do y'all feel, right? right? Yeah. I should have gave you a heads up, right? But, but they're not all the same. We all have different bracelets. And they all say something that's important to us. We all got to pick our phrase, and, and that was, that, this was my phrase. Um, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I was watching Endgame, The Avengers. And uh, no spoilers here. Batman does die. <laughs> Just kidding. He's not in the movie. Um, but um, Captain America um, is giving this nice little speech. And, and, and I was so inspired when he just said the words, we're going to do whatever it takes. Are we really willing to do whatever it takes? We talk so much about pastoring our cities and leading our families and sharing the love of Jesus with people and, and, and really just loving them the way that we love God and the way that we love ourselves. Are we truly willing to do whatever it takes? Are we just doing what's convenient? Are we just doing what's comfortable? Last week I ended with a challenge and I'm gonna end with this same challenge. Man, I just really encourage you. What would it look like if we just went all in? As a family, as an individual, as, as, as a businessman, as a teacher, as a businesswoman, as, as, a, as a leader in the community, as a person in your neighborhood, as a person in your home, as a person in this church, what would it look like if you and your family made the decision, you know what? We're going to go all in. We're going to stop playing these games and we're going to stop doing it when it's just convenient or when it's, when it's, when it's comfortable. But we're going to do whatever it takes to truly follow Jesus, to find our place and to live out our purpose and just be the people God's called us to be. For such a time as this, what would that look like? And what could it possibly mean for your family? I challenge you like never before. Let's stop just giving him a little bit. Let's stop just giving him what's convenient left over. But let's be like Esther and say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. Because I realize God's empowered me for a reason. He's put gifts in my life for a reason. He's put me in this place and in this position for a reason. And I'm not going to waste the opportunity anymore. But I truly want him to be glorified in my life, in my work, in my family, in my finances, in my hobbies, in the gifts, the things that he's given to me. I want to use it all for the glory of God, my Father. And I believe when we do that, it'll not only change your life, it'll change your family's life. it'll, it'll it'll change... It'll change the environment you work in. I believe it'll change our world.
ladies. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your voice. I can't really imagine living in a time period like Esther must have lived in where she was even afraid to speak her mind, speak her voice. One of the things I love most about my wife is that she is strong. She's a lot stronger than I am. She's a lot more courageous than I'll ever think about being. It also makes her a little bit stubborn and can drive me crazy, just a little bit. But those are the things I love about her. Singing about her this morning when I got up and was having my devotion and just having a cup of coffee, even just sitting on the deck by myself. And I thought, man, it's so crazy. The things I, I love most about my wife are sometimes the things that can drive you a little bit crazy, you know? Because she's strong. Ladies, you're strong. You're strong. You have an opportunity to impact the world. And can I tell you where it will start? In your marriage. And it'll start in your home. There's a lot of things that my wife does that just I stand in awe of. But standing behind the three of them this morning and watching them worship together and watching my wife just give that example of what it looks like to worship and to pray and to lead. Those are the things I love about my wife. I know some of you ladies feel like you're maybe in a relationship or you're in a family situation where, where maybe you feel like you're the only one going all in. Can I tell you that your devotion and your persistence, your going after Jesus, it is not in vain. It is not in vain. And so you keep fighting. You keep praying. You keep believing. You keep being the example. You keep pushing. And I believe that God is going to bless you more than you ever dreamed because of your faithfulness. Can we stand together right now?